So hello everyone, my name is Vikas Agarwal. I'm the founder of AIF and PMS Experts India. So as you know that we, we kind of uh, run the show called Ask the Expert, wherein we invite industry experts and we try and read their nine minds, understand what's going on in and around the markets. And we also try to uh, understand that, you know, what sort of uh, domain expertise they bring on the table and how does it be beneficial for, for our investors. So, uh, what today's topic we thought is we'll talk about AIF because AIF as a category is emerging very well in India. It is one of the fastest growing vehicles. So, we thought we'll invite Mr. Praveen Ladia. So, with me, I have Praveen Ladia. Praveen Ladia brings about almost two decades of experience on the table. Uh, he's head of sales at Incred uh, AMC. And prior to this, he played a very important role at Motila Loswal. He spent about almost seven and a half years over there. And he was there as a part of the core team right from the scratch, built up the organization, the platform. And he played a very, very important role in terms of developing these products, especially the alternate investment funds and portfolio management services. So therefore, we thought of inviting him and we'll discuss more in detail about, uh, you know, what is AIF and how does it work, etc. Uh, so thank you so much for the feedback that we keep getting from investors. Uh, so, uh, Praveen, firstly, I would like to thank you for accepting our request and taking the time out from your busy schedule and joining in today. No, no, thank you, Vikas, for having us. Uh, being always great to associate with you and uh, talk to your investors and partners. Yeah. So, Praveen, uh, you know, uh, we wanted to talk about AIF uh, category. And what we are witnessing is this category is emerging very well in India. In fact, it's one of the fastest growing. So we wanted to know your views on what is the kind of size uh, this industry has at this point of time. And A and B is how does it work? How does it beneficial for, for the investor community as a whole, especially HNI and HNI? Thanks, Vikas. And uh, to start with, I would say that uh, alternate investments, as the AF is called, started in the US way back in the 20th century. And it came to India in 2012 when the first regulations of India happened. So as alternate investments obviously grow with the economy, as Indian economy was evolving, people and the market needed new investment avenues. And that's how AIF got involved. The first AIF in India was launched in 2013. And uh, primarily hedge funds and thereafter many categories have come. So it's been an eight-year journey for AIF in India as an alternate investment. And today as we talk, uh, uh, it is as large as four and a half lakh crore in terms of the size of AIF. Four lakh crores. Yeah, four and a half lakh, four point five lakh crores, which is quite large, and large part of it has already come in the last three four years. Given that you know, first three four years people were experimenting and trying, and now it's the most popular uh, category of investments for UHNI and HNI investors because it is a sophisticated investor product. Uh, so, yes, uh, it's been a lovely journey for the last eight years uh, and uh, living with AIF and seeing that group. Uh, AIF, as it talks in, let me put one step back and say that the, the regulation has created three different categories depending on the underlying asset class. The first category is, so the name is category one, two, and three. Uh, but ideally, category one are the investments where you do venture capital, you do SME funds, you do infrastructure funds or anything which is socially beneficial to the society you put into category one that is social venture fund whatever you make it category two the largest so category one is around forty thousand crores of size as we speak now category two is something the largest in this because that's where the large part of money also comes in is unlisted equity which is private equity unlisted debt structures 
there is uh, real estate funds, there is pre-IPO funds. So that category, uh, which also gets a lot of money from foreign investors as well as domestic investors uh, and private equity funds, et cetera, et cetera, as category two AF, what we call. And that's uh, as high as three and a half like that. So most of the startup funds are structured under a category two AF to invest into. A lot of private equity funds, pre-IPO funds, as we all know, as the top of the town is also category two. So invest in companies just before IPOs or a few months before IPOs. And the third is the category three, where you are allowed to do listed equities, you are allowed to do long shots, you are allowed to do derivatives, uh, you are allowed to leverage and take higher risk, or only do long only specific. So anything which invested into listed securities uh, comes under category three, yeah, which is approximately, I would say it's another 50,000 crore uh, assets as of now. So any absolute return product, hedge funds or non only equity comes under category. Uh, we have seen a uh, evolvement of such a large size over the last eight years of AI. And that's how you can see it's the most acceptable and people may still have inhibitions around it, but it's become very large uh, and acceptable asset class for everyone to invest in. So what we are witnessing is exponential growth, particularly in the IF industry. So why is this broadly so well accepted amongst HNIs and ultra HNIs investors operate in, in India, Praveen? So, as the market evolves and investor evolves, they're looking for avenues for better returns and higher returns than a standalone mutual fund platform. So, that's how alternates start coming. So, as you as we all know, and you're also witnessing that we are seeing a lot of new IPOs coming, which are the new unicorns of India or the new, new age India, what we call it. These are all which started private equity or unlisted capital raising seven, eight, eight years back. And that's how they were lesser companies and the sizes were also small. People were experimenting and trying to understand what an unlisted or, a, or an AF does. Uh, with time, the acceptability also increases. And if you see PMS as well, or when we're talking 10 years back, not many people knew about PMS, but now it's, it's just like any other mutual fund. So uh, the acceptability has increased. The money flow in that category of uh, assets, that category of investments of unlisted as well as hedge funds or, or alpha generating long-only equity funds uh, have increased. So people are moving away from traditional simple mutual funds and moving to alternates for better returns and uh, better experiences of uh, new businesses as well. So I think this will, uh, today we are talking as alternate, but uh, this will become one of, just like mutual funds, it will be become the most common asset class over the next five, six years. So the other thing is, Praveen, you have, since you kind of uh, worked with ICIC and looked after the international markets uh, during a stint at ICIC through AMC. So uh, how does the globally, uh, uh, this AIF PMS mutual fund construct work? Like what sort of percentage if you have to quantify in terms of numbers? So if you compare so, the developed economy and emerging economy, where do you think we are? We stand. So, in a developed economy, because your uh, traditional asset class becomes most common, the alternate starts growing up. So, as I said, the US alternate started in the late 20th century, so under 20, 30 years before us, and uh, and now they are very very high. Today, when I'm talking of uh, a broad industry, the alternate asset class for us is less than five percent. Ideally, in a developed economy, it would be as high as 20 to 25% of investments. So uh, that's the size we are looking at. So with financialization of saving in India, the 
the pool of series increases and people moving from traditional asset classes to alternates, this pool will become larger. So uh, ideally it should be 15 to 20% in, in a emerged economy and above 20 in a developed economy. So today we are five or less than five. So a long runway to, for us to catch. You have a great future ahead. So, uh, uh, Praveen, uh, you also talked about absolute returns category that which is within the category three product. So, how does the taxation work for for uh, absolute sort of products, the category which is emerging in India, and the category one, two, three? If you could throw some more lights on the taxation side. So, so the Indian income tax is very clear on category one and two. So, the venture fund, the infrastructure funds, and the unlisted space. So there is a clause called pass-through benefit. So all the income and expenses or whatever benefits are taxed in the hands of the investor. So the fund doesn't pay any tax. And so an unlisted, you pay capital gain or business income on, on interest income, etc. So the fund will give you all the details and you have to file tax as an investor in your books of account. So there's a clear pass-through benefit. Uh, in a category three, there's no specific clause in the income tax act, but there are precedences of... Uh, various court laws as well as income tax tribunals that uh, how it should be treated as. So in category three, the fund pays all the tax. So if you are uh, dealing in say equities, so on a listed equity, you pay capital gain tax. If you are trading in less than one year, you pay short term. If you're trading more than one year, you pay long term. And on derivatives, you pay business. So if it's a long only equity in category three, you end up paying capital gain at the fund level and the investor uh, does not pay any tax and in a long shot or absolute return hedge fund strategy uh, on the equity portion you pay capital gain and on the derivatives the fund pays business income which is very high and net NAV is post tax so whatever investor gets from both equity or absolute return those are tax paid uh, income in their hands so they don't have to again pay. so most of the funds provide year-end taxation certificate that this is the total tax paid by the fund so the unit holders of the trust or the fund do not need to pay any more tax. So, as I said, in equities, it's capital gain, and on derivatives, it's business income. That's maximum margin. Yeah, so so what I learned from you is that in category three, particularly, the taxes are paid at the instrument level. Investors do not have to pay anything. And if it is a long shot category, whatever would be the gain is also again paid by these AIF instruments. So, they are considered as AIF. Trust or uh, body or private limited, how does it work? So it's subject to structuring. Most of the AIFs in category are structured as a trust and uh, the unit holders are the beneficiaries of the trust. So that's how uh, taxation works, that the trust is taxed and the beneficial owners do. Uh, some funds are also structured as LLPs. So you get the benefits as partners. So the LLP pays tax uh, at the LLP level. So whichever way it is, uh, the fund takes care of being taxed at their level so that uh, it doesn't go to each and every investor's asset. Okay, okay. So, uh, uh, once the taxes are paid, uh, generally uh, these uh, asset management companies provide some sort of uh, uh, papers as audited statement or something which client can go to and give it to their chartered accountant and the, that takes care of the overall taxation part. So, so most of the funds uh, provide a year-end taxation certificate which talks about the fund's overall income during the year and tax paid by them. And it also includes a clause saying that because the trust has paid the tax, the beneficial owners need not pay any more tax. So that's a kind of a tax certificate provided at the end of the year, financial year, 
which tells about the taxes of the entire fund together. Yeah. So that that you can use it uh, for filing your investments income tax return and not pay any tax on the bank. Pravin, often we are witnessing that number of startups are increasing big time in India, and there is a you know our honourable prime minister also talks about uh, emphasizing and focusing more on this category. So where do you see uh, uh, these AIs playing uh, important role in terms of both? And developing the economy playing important role in terms of their contribution and b as an investor do you think that it makes sense and uh, to invest in the early stage now and then get maximum returns out of that what are your views so when you read all these news articles of newly listed companies you will see that most of the private equity investors in the past are getting exited out either fully or partially so that's how you see that there is primary issuance is very less and people exiting is high. So people who had invested seven, eight years back in an unlisted fund AI would have invested in some of these companies. So you can see the return they would make uh, from these exits from the fund. And certain examples, we have RCLCs, which I can use multiple bank or cash balance, et cetera, that people have made multi-plash from exiting or IPO. So if you are focusing on getting that long-term return investing to startups, which is the which is the growing part of India. We have just started startup mode seven, eight years back or six years back. And today that's the at the peak because of COVID, because of digitalization, because people need new, new things, the demand and the requirements of investors have changed. I think anyone investing now in new startups would see much better and higher returns going forward. And category two years will always be the front runner because they'll accumulate a lot of capital from various investors and try to identify this new age businesses for next five, seven, eight years. So as I see this, this ecosystem growing, the category two AF will go larger than that. Yeah, coming back to category three. So as you rightly mentioned that this particular category is growing very fast. And as an investor, I have all the options. I have mutual fund as a vehicle, PMS as a vehicle, AIF as a vehicle. Particularly category three of late, what we are witnessing because we are a data-driven organization and we keep you know crunching these data points and keep running our own screen and saw that of late uh, the there has been huge outperformance coming especially from category three uh, as a vehicle as compared to PMSs or mutual fund. PMS is very close to that, but uh, there is a huge difference between mutual fund. So as an investor, uh, what is your advice? So suppose I have five crores of portfolio. According to you. Uh, do you think I should be investing in AIFs? So any category 3F is same as any other equity product. Right? So just that most of the category 3Fs are structured closed. Uh, the reason that you uh, you invest and you make those businesses grow, so you, which you cannot invest or would restrict yourself to invest in an open-ended product. You have very inflow through managed liquidity or managed market risk more often. In, a, in an AIF cat 3, you, the fund manager has the flexibility of buying. And that is the main reason that if you identify good companies, you outperform most of the open-ended mutual funds in the year. And that's what you're seeing from your data as well. Uh, if, if an investor has five crore, uh, I would definitely feel that uh, whatever his equity allocation, I'm assuming a five crore equity allocation, uh, he should put uh, between 20 to 40% in AIF and keep 60% uh, of equity allocation liquid. Uh, because AIF comes with his own caveats of liquidity. And, Limited redemption windows, 
uh, you can invest between 20 to 40 percent in a long only equity. All right, so it's very, very important to have uh, some amount of exposure, maybe in the tune of 30 percent and 5 percent or 20 percent, depending upon what is your risk appetite. And important to have exposure and choose this vehicle more, more carefully. There, there has been a lot of precedence where uh, you end up. Uh, taking benefits of various sub-clauses of uh, income tax. Eh? So you structure it in a way where you are a trust. So most of the AIF structure now is they pay tax at the AIF level. So the AIF or the fund will pay tax. And because you are a beneficiary holder, you don't pay tax on the returns you get from the AIF. So although there's no clear-cut law, but it is treated as a taxation of a trust on the LP, where the tax is paid by the fund and the investors get tax paid returns, how we call it. It's not tax free returns, it's called tax paid returns. So you get a certificate from a fund house uh, based on which you don't pay any tax on any money you receive from the AIF structure of category three. Tax two, you have to calculate at your end. Generally these AIFs, if you look at uh, Praveen, they are mostly close-ended in nature. You know, so do you think the exit is possible or how does the exit work? So uh, when you're investing into it, unlisted category AIF uh, because you are investing in a company, the exit is not so easily possible. So most of the CAT 2 AIFs doesn't have an exit clause. Uh, the reason being, even if you come and ask me for a redemption, we cannot sell a part of the company and give it back because the, you, know, you can't have a startup company and give us any parts of it. Uh, so there the exit is dependent on the fund manager and exit of the companies uh, which they're investing in. In a category 3 AIF, uh, generally, most of the managers have a one-year lock-in for taxation purposes, and beyond that, they have exit facilities uh, subject to whatever loans, etc. But exit in category three, which is equity-oriented, or hedge funds or long-short funds, uh, the exit windows are available for you to exit. So it's not completely hard locked in there. So most of the category three S provide you a window of uh, uh, getting out subject to whatever their terms and conditions are. Yeah, because the underlying asset class is equity and it is, uh, I would say, liquid and you can indecel and create a value out of it. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, Praveen, uh, you know, other thing is, you know, uh, these are the questions which I keep getting from a lot of investors that, you know, in any AI, you see multiple closures. So, you see, uh, they are closing down this month, the next month. So, how does it work? Uh, there are a lot of queries around that. Sure. So, uh, AIF is allowed to have multiple closures in a sense that, uh, you can take investors on a particular closing date. So the closing means that if you decide, say today, 28th of October is my closing, any application till now, I can accept them in a fund. Uh, in a mutual fund or a PMS, it's open-ended. So if you come any day before cutoff, as you call it a cutoff time, uh, you get your uh, units or you get your investments accepted. In an AI, that cutoff is kind of a closing. The manager decides at what corpus or at what date he wants to close a fund. So there can be first closing is the first time, Subsequent closing may anything after that, and there's a final closing. So at every closing date, your money and your application is accepted in the fund. So anything comes between one closing or the other closing, it's all accepted on that day, and everyone on that day gets that there's any or valuation for the investments. There's a concept called final closing, which is generally 12 months or 18 months from the date of first closing. After that, the fund cannot accept any investor in the fund. So that's called final closing. So closing is kind of various cutoffs the manager puts in a fund uh, to accept money. So, so assuming that you as an investor come in first closure and your NAV is locked up, 
and then the, somebody who's coming in the third closure, would they have difference in, in terms of their NAV and the valuation? How does it work? Yes, yes. So every closing will have its own valuation. Uh, if uh, somebody comes early, obviously gets the uh, benefit of being early. So in an unlisted space where the valuations are not there, there is a premium charge for further closing. So where you call an equalization levy or equalization premium, which the fund charges for a notional upgradation of the first investor's investing value. In a category three, uh, the NAVs are calculated based on the listed market price. So whatever is the value of the underlying securities on the exchange that is considered for an NAV purpose. So yeah, the on an unlisted space, the next coming person pays a premium to anticipate. And in a listed space, you get the NAV of the closing date. So what sort of uh, risk involved in these two different categories broadly? You know, one is you have unlisted space, the other one is more into the listed one. So what are your views on that? So in addition to whatever regulator says as a standard financial risk in investing in the instrument, one should be very clear that both the categories or all the categories come with kind of a concentration risk in terms of they invest into 15, 20 odd countries. Most of these guys have that concentration risk. And secondly, it comes with a lot of illiquidity. Like as I said, Cat 1 and Category 2, you will not get any liquidity window at your discretion. So your money is locked till the manager decides to exit. Whereas in Category 3, uh, there are windows, maybe quarterly or half yearly, where you can exit. So if you need any money which is uh, between that window, you cannot exit. So you have to plan your investments in a way that the money which you would be least required for over the period of next few years based on the fund terms, that should get invested uh, in the AIF because your liquidity and your money requirement cannot be met through this plan. So that's one risk and the concentration is that Unlike a mutual fund where you have 60, 70, 80 stocks, most AS will have a 15 to 25 kind of a range. So uh, it's a very concentrated portfolio. So keep in mind these two specific risks uh, in addition to your financial planning risk, etc. But is this a sort of perception that in AIF you have higher risk in the category 3 as compared to BMS? Uh, no, as I said, uh, you are taking equity risk. So whether you're investing in BMS or in AIF, uh, the risk of underlying assets remains the same. Uh, and, and that's the more perception has diluted this perception, what you talked about, this more risk has diluted over a period of time. The acceptability of AIF category three is very, very high today. As I mentioned to you, the size is growing multifold. Like as I said, the category three AIF, which was as low as I would say in 2016 when I did my first AIF was 10,000 crores. Today it stands at 100, and, uh, I would say, Sorry, it was 10,000 crores in 2017. Today, it's 60,000 crores. So you can see it's a 6x multiplier in four years period. Uh, so definitely the acceptability of AIF in line with other equity classes seen. The risk remains the same other than, uh, I would say, PMS and AIF risk uh, of the underlying equity is same. Yes, it is a little more riskier than a mutual fund platform, uh, given it's concentrated. Uh, but it has its own benefits to have that extra alpha. As, as managers would like to create alpha by stock selection in an AIF platform. The other thing, Praveen, uh, is that, uh, you know, so one yeah, point taken that, you know, obviously AIF and PMS is slightly risky uh, vehicle as compared to mutual fund. But when it comes to fees and performance fees, these are two things that is calculated separately. 
So, can you throw some more lights on how does the performance we work in case of AIF? Oh, yes, because but before I take that question, let me take a step back and tell you the benefit an AI brings on table for the fund management perspective as well. Uh, we all know that AIF uh, have multiple choosing, but it also have a period called drawdown period or a commitment period, where the manager decides uh, when to call for money. The reason being, it gives the flexibility to the fund manager to identify opportunities and ask investors to give the money when it's the right time. So in an unlisted space, what happens is we identify deals, we identify underlying investments, and then ask the investors, please pay us a 20%, 30% of your balance commitment. So for example, you agreed to commit one crore in an AIF. Uh, we take 20% or 30% in year. So for our example, we take 20% on day one. Balance 80, you have to pay during the drawdown period, which can be different for different funds. So as a fund manager, whenever I identify an opportunity, say three months, six months, I figure out I, I like the company and unlisted space and it needs a certain corpus. I will call on my investor and say, okay, please pay me another 20% in next three, four weeks. So I identify the opportunity. When I need the money, I call for them. In category three, whenever there's correction or the manager thinks it's an appropriate time, he can make more money and there are more opportunities, he calls for them. So one, it gives the benefit to manager to identify and time his investments in the market. For that, you end up paying a performance here and there. So, uh, that's called carry or distribution waterfall, etc. So most of the AIFs comes with drawdown, where the manager takes the decision of when to invest and how to invest. And at the end of the period of the, they charge you a performance fee. Uh, if you're making money, obviously that charge is a hurdle rate in most of the funds. So unless they cross that, they don't charge you. So uh, for that extra benefit of giving the flexibility to the manager, he's also obliged to perform better. And that is why he charges a performance fee after a certain hurdle, which I think is uh, a right way because it's fully aligned uh, for the manager to earn more money if he makes more money for investors. Uh, Pravin, the other thing is in case of uh, uh, AIF category, uh, this is this is the message from the regulator that you have to have some sort of skill in the game, in the sense that you know the the sponsorship from the from the uh, AMC or the promoter. Uh, should be there. So, any uh, rules or regulation, particularly if you could share your thoughts on that? So, skill in the game has become very uh, key point in the hands of the regulator. So, when they started, they have put certain percentages that each uh, sponsor of the fund has to, in every fund, has to put a certain so that uh, you are aligned in terms of investing and putting more capital along with the investors because these were and these are still uh, some. Oh, sort of, I would say, a complicated alternate investment. So uh, in a category two, you end up investing 5% of the purpose in category three. So there's a minimum maximum of 10 crores or you can add more to it. So generally a sponsor has to put 10 crore kind of a number in each of the funds they launch. So if a fund house is launching five funds, they have to put 10 crores each in five funds or more than that uh, to ensure that they are also aligned to investor interest. So it's a regulatory requirement to have a sponsor commitment in each of the AIFs. The other thing is because it's a large sum and investors are putting money, they, they keep asking this question that, so how does the security works in case of AIF? Is there a custodian who keeps an eye on the overall assets? Where are the underlying assets uh, uh, you know, uh, procured and 
and where how does the platform work if you put throw lights on that? Sure. So there are multiple uh, service providers in here. So first thing is an AI cannot have more than one thousand investors. So you know it's not like an open rate product. You can have unlimited number of investors like a mutual fund, etc. So uh, that's why it has been created only for select uh, investors. Second, you cannot publicly market an app, so you will not see advertisements or websites of the app. So you know, uh, even though it's a sophisticated product, it's on a private placement basis. Uh, the regulations are very, very clear that it works just like uh, if you have multiple service providers. So for accepting your application, you have a registrar and transfer agent uh, who processes the investment. So as a house, I don't do it myself. There's a third party uh, registrar come transfer agent who sees your application, processes, accepts your KYC. Then after that, uh, we have custodians and fund accountants. The ones who keep the assets in their, uh, in their holding, they are ones who execute and settles. And there are similar fund accountants who do calculations of valuations, fees, et cetera. So as a fund manager, my job is just to ensure that we manage money. All other functions are independently managed by third parties. And uh, these are all, most of the funds have those reputed banks, et cetera, as the custodians and uh, various uh, activities. So there are three large activities, registrar, fund accountant, and custody. And, and these are held uh, in third party demands with custodian settlement like which is true for any other platform like a mutual fund or something like that. so it's very very safe for just like uh, nx or pnc yeah, why am i asking from my investor point of view and their security point of view because so where where is the asset and and, and who takes care of and who takes the complete accountability and, and secondly we will see that most of these AIs also have a third party trustees over their funds so you know, they oversee the entire activity of a trust or the fund structure, let's say. So you would also have third-party trustees who create that independent governance and controls on assets or on the entire process of an AI management. So what is the custodian's role's, uh, role in, in, in this area? So custodian is simply ensuring that uh, whatever trades a uh, fund manager does, it's properly settled. Uh, with the exchange, it is uh, settled and paid to the broker accordingly. So, and held uh, in the demand account and whenever needed. So, both buy and sell, they ensure that uh, the settlement is smooth and the assets come back to the fund's demand account uh, and hold it by them. So, custody's role is very, very simply of uh, holding the assets and uh, clearing and ensuring a smooth transaction. Fund accounts are someone who do calculation of any of the valuation of underlying securities, uh, fees calculation, et cetera, et cetera, and then creates books and accounts and PNL, et cetera, for the fund level. So that's how they calculate NAVs, and that also comes from a third-party fund accounts. So what happens, suppose any asset management company values up, you know, or some sort of default takes place? So how does it uh, ensure that the investor's interest is well protected? So the asset manager is just managing the product. So he acts like an investment manager of the fund. And if he uh, bellies up, for example, the asset manager and the securities are intact, the trustees take over the process. So, and, and, the, and they will end up, uh, so there are clauses which you will read in the offer document that uh, there are ways of diluting a fund, et cetera. Et cetera. So then, then it goes in the hands of the trustees eventually to uh, sell off all the securities and give it back to investors. That's why it's called, uh, most of the AFs are structured in a trust format uh, so that the trustees get uh, their fair share of corporate governance and controls uh, over and above the investment manager. 
Okay. So coming back to Incred, so I was just looking at the data other, the other day and you know, one of your AIF is really outperforming the benchmark significantly. So is there a plan that you're planning to launch any more AIFs in, in the near future? Uh, uh, so this AIF now completes two-year track record. So before launching another one, we wanted a reasonable track record to be built. So today, as we speak, uh, we are uh, 25 months of track records created for this AIF. Uh, done well. So definitely there are plans that we would come out uh, more of the AIFs both uh, in the closed-ended and open stages platform. But it has to go through the entire regulatory process. So as and when we are up and running with approvals, we'll surely come back to you and your partners and clients. Yeah, as a house, you also run thematic PMS more tilted towards pharma industry per se. So what was the reason behind launching? Because generally when you start your AMC, you know, you come out with multiple products and different categories, but generally you don't start with uh, thematic uh, uh, product. So what was the uh, idea behind launching a pharma fund? So the healthcare space, we believe that's not theme theme as people say. Uh, healthcare in itself is a very vast domain. And there are multiple business models within healthcare. So within pharmaceutical, you have four or five different business models. And within healthcare, you have diagnostic hospitals, insurances, etc. Cetera, et cetera. So we believe that healthcare as a segment is one, not thematic. Uh, second, it has a long runway. So there has been years, and there's a track record of 17, 18 years of a pharma index itself. Uh, so we believe uh, that this will continue for very, very long. And there is... Uh, latent demand that healthcare has underperformed for a very long period. So uh, people would want to participate in it. There's a strong story around it or, uh, or an investment rationale around it. And you guys have already covered uh, Aditya's uh, video in terms of what he thinks about the segment. But uh, as a house, we thought one, we sh if we believe in a, uh, in a sector or, or believe in a uh, investment cycle, which will be for long term, we should put our best foot forward. And that's why we, uh, as a new house as well, we got an expert from the industry to work with us on the healthcare PMS. So we have put uh, the fund manager as well as two analysts around it to ensure that uh, despite people thinking it's thematic and we don't believe it, we put our full efforts behind it. And uh, Touchwood last seven, eight months have done really well for us. And, and we have been accepted uh, widely across investor categories in industry. So I think that's going to be one of our flagships for very, very long period. Eventually, I believe you and your investors will not call it thematic. No, so compliments to your entire team, uh, Praveen. I think your really performance is really good. And we're happy that if investor makes money, you know, eventually we all make money. So so thank you so much for uh, you know delivering this sort of additional alpha in the end of investors. So thank you so and, much. And it all goes to investors because they make money. Yeah, correct, correct. All right, so uh, we'll uh, conclude the session here. Thank you so much for uh, watching the show. Thank you, Vikas, for having us on. And happy to answer any follow-up questions either through emails or chats. Thank you, Praveen, for taking Thank the you. time out from your business.